I'm so glad we've got another beautiful, beautiful Wednesday evening, and I hope that you're watching online tonight and that you will share this. <clears throat> and could I just ask, along with Keith, that you would just pray with us during the service tonight and uh, listen carefully, because this is one of those portions of Scripture I, I'm really looking forward to preaching and teaching through this. And um, Wednesday night, I kind of do a combination of both, of just preaching and teaching through this portion. But it's one that deserves a lot of careful thought because if you wanted to be tin horn about it, you could just start bashing. But if you really want to, to deal with this properly, you, you have to really prayerfully kind of walk through this and think about it. And that's the reason, Keith, I appreciated your, your prayer so much tonight. And also, if I could just ask you to please remember Woodland and your giving tonight, we really could use your help right now, uh, both in missions and with our ministry operations around here. It would be so generous of you to take time tonight and go online and give. Tithe if you haven't yet or give to missions. Or, and if you can, join with Becky and I and do a little bit extra right now. It's amazing to me how often the, quote, religious police, sometimes I think of them as the religious hit squad. Sometimes I think of some of these people who come to Jesus being like some of the religious terrorists or the religious police that you have in Saudi Arabia or in places like that today where if a woman is not properly attired or, or if, if a woman is doing something that they feel like under Sharia law she shouldn't be doing, uh, she can be harmed, and in some countries she can even be killed. Jesus had done miracles. He'd fed the hungry. He had cast out demons. We had looked at how he raised the dead. We just looked at all of these miracles that Jesus has been doing, and yet the people are, the religious police are ignoring all the miracles, and they're haggling over little traditions and things that they had equated to the Scripture that weren't really biblical at all. They came from an oral teaching that later would be codified as the Mishnah, but it wasn't the Word of God. It wasn't the law of God. They had taken the law of God or at the, the Mishnah, which was the at that time, it hadn't even been totally written down yet. It was more of an oral teaching, and they put it on the same level as the Word of the Lord. Now, traditions aren't bad. Everybody should have some traditions, but it's when our traditions replace the word of the Lord. We have some family traditions in the Clanton home, traditions that we're thankful for that uh, have been passed down to us by our families uh, that have come before us and that we've passed down to our children. They tell you a little bit about our heritage. They tell you a little bit about where we come from. They also demonstrate what we believe and they demonstrate for you as well things that we feel like that aren't necessarily uh, biblical, they can be biblically based, but that have protected our family through the years. Good traditions give you a sense of time and a sense of place. Good traditions strengthen your home. Good traditions help you understand who you are. Uh, for instance, Pastor Mark, our, our creative arts pastor, um, he is uh, Polish and um, uh, Italian background. I had to stop and remember for just a moment. He's Polish and Italian background, and so we've talked before about those different backgrounds, the different food and the different cultural experiences that his mother and father brought together and blending their family's traditions into their homes. You come from a new, unique background. 
if you come to my house during the autumn, you're going to always be offered boiled peanuts, whether you like it or not, you know, because that's just something we love. And I don't meet many people north of the Mason-Dixon line that do like boiled peanuts. But that's great memories for me when we would plow peanuts, pull them and wash them and, and boil them. That's just good memories. It, it takes me back to a time. It takes me back to place. But good traditions also shine a light on the Bible. The good family traditions help you go back to the word of the Lord and they exalt Christ, but they're never mistaken for the Bible. They're never mistaken for the word of God. And kind of, um, and my Jewish friends probably wouldn't like this illustration because this is considered an unclean animal, but kind of think of it like this. Um, A crab it has to shed its shell and it has to grow from time to time as the, as the crab grows. Coming to Michigan stretched some of our southern traditions moving up here and we had to grow. And I've heard from folks who've moved from here and they've moved down south and says, Pastor, it's a totally different world. Somebody called me this week and they moved down south from up here, and they says, does everybody say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, down here? I go, if they've been raised right, they do. <laughs> you know, and that may not be true here, because people tend to think if you say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, to somebody, that you're referring to them as being old. But in the south, it's a term of respect, but it's also a term of endearment. So tonight, what I'd like us to do is look at this passage carefully this evening. And I've broken it up, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. I've broken it up, so I'm going to preach it just a little bit, teach it just a little bit differently than I normally would tonight. So let's start. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now notice this. They're not going to talk to him about the miracles. They're not going to talk to him about the woman that was delivered and set free, the girl that was raised from the dead, the demoniac that was set free. They're not going to talk to him about those that were fed, that were hungry, the thousands. I mean, those are the things that I would have wanted to talk to Jesus about. But they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Now, this ritual had nothing to do with hygiene. Remember, we didn't start equating hand washing with physical hygiene to about the time of civil war when the civil war the war between the states when we associated germs and bacteria this all had to do with a religious tradition that was meant for the priest before going into the the temple to minister and not for everyday people but now it had become everybody was doing it the jews especially the pharisees do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. What they would do is they would hold their hands up while water was poured over them and let it run down to the wrist. Then they would hold their hands down while water was poured and it would run off their fingertips. Then, similarly, they didn't need anything from the market unless they immersed their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions, not the Bible, not the Word, This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law ask him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, now boy, this is is tough. Now, you've got to know, they're... This is a hit squad, okay? So this, don't think about this as being a group of nice people going, you know, we'd really like to talk to you about this. This is different. This is a hit squad. And Jesus goes, you hypocrites. 
That is not the way to win friends and influence people, right? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as God's commands from God. In other words, they're saying their commands are the same as God's commands. They put the law and the, the word, to, I mean the mission and the word together. For you ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. Then Jesus said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would give, have given to you. That was a vow of Corban. And Corban could be used in a very self-interested way. You could take a certain amount of money. Let's say you took 50% um, of your estate and you said, you know, I am going to give this to God. You could live off that estate and then whatever was left over, the temple got. And by claiming that as Corban, you could ignore the fifth commandment. Corban was not in the law. Corban was a religious tradition for funding the temple. So they were sidestepping the law by refusing to take care of their parents, but they took care of themselves. And the fifth commandment to honor your parents, every Jew understood that meant right even to your aging parents. And I have preached before here on how to honor your aging parents. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents so you can cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition and notice this statement, and this is one example among many others. Now, I need to say it again. It's not that traditions are bad. Traditions can be very good. Traditions are bad when we use them to ignore God's law or replace God's law. I like what J.I. Packer said. The question then is not whether we have traditions, but whether our traditions conflict with the only absolute standard on these matters, Holy Scripture. And so that's how we have to examine our traditions, is are they biblically based, are they biblically supported? If they, if they ignore the commands of the Scripture, then suddenly we're in a different place. We're actually replacing God's Word with our own traditions. Garrison Keillor, who maybe is not as popular to talk about now as he used to be because of some charges that were brought against him, but he wrote about this in his book, Late Woebegone. And he talked about how he came from a very religious community and how that they had set up rituals and they had set up traditions within the churches. And he said, it's not that the traditions were bad. He says, but then the churches and the people would turn their guns on each other and try to shoot one another down. It'd be like evangelicals and Catholics fighting one another, Baptists and Methodists fighting one another, Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals fighting one another. In other words, Keeler said this in that book. He said, we made sure that anyone who fellowshiped with us were straight on all the details of faith. In other words, unless you agreed like we did, you couldn't be a part of our community. So I think what Jesus is saying here tonight, and maybe I shouldn't say I think because I am confident that what Jesus is saying here tonight is congruence, the life we want to live for our actions, our heart, and our lifestyle. They're all matching up. Congruence is heart and lifestyle in life-giving synchronicity. 
When my heart and my lifestyle and my traditions are in sync with one another, it gives life. It not only brings life to me, but it brings life to those around me, my family, my neighbors. I was reading several years ago, as a matter of fact, I saved it. I thought it was so funny. Um, True story, in an Episcopal church in the Northeast, the priest had been there a long time, nearly 30 years he'd been priest of this one Episcopalian church. And um, when he retired and his younger replacement took over, um, the younger replacement kind of got the feeling that things weren't going very well. So he asked one of the elders of the church, he says, I get the feeling there's a bit of an undercurrent. He says, am I, am I not doing a good job as a priest? He goes, well, you're doing a good job in everything except for one. And he goes, well, what is it? He says, well, you're not doing Holy Communion right. And he goes, I'm doing it right according, in, in the Episcopalians use a prayer book. They follow right up for him. He says, I'm doing it right out of the prayer book. He goes, well, you're not doing it like Father so-and-so did. And he says, well, how did Father so-and-so do it? He goes, every Sunday morning when Father so-and-so would do the Holy Communion, right after he prayed, before he took up the cup and the, ch- the chalice, he would walk over to the radiator and he would touch the radiator and then he would serve the communion. And he goes, why did he do that? He says, I don't know. But he said, that's how communion has been done here for over 30 years. So the young priest called the retired priest. True story. Now, I mean, this is one of those things you just got to hear it to believe it. He called the priest. He says, why did you touch the radiator every week? He says, because if I didn't, the chalice would shock me. So I went over to the radiator and touched it to discharge the static electricity. Well, living in Michigan, we can understand that. I get shocked all the time up here during the winter. So we can have these little things that develop that we equate to the word of the Lord. Look at Exodus chapter 30 and verse 19. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. This was a bronze laver. And they must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord. And when they approach the altar to burn up the special gifts of the Lord, or they will die. Now, this was a priestly command. It's not one I have to observe as a, as a pastor. We're under the new covenant now, and I, I don't have a lot of time to go into that. But let me give you three things that you might want to just write to the side of your outline tonight. In the New Testament, drinking water is often illustrated with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, John chapter 7. Bathing water or cleansing water like the priests would use, that was often equated with the word of God. Like Jesus said in John 15, you're clean by the word I spoke to you. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the washing of the word. So you had drinking water illustrating the Holy Spirit. You had washing water illustrating the Word of God. But in this bronze labor, the reason that's important is bronze was what mirrors were made out of. And the book of James tells us that the Word of God is like a mirror in our lives. And so we see a fulfillment of this in the new covenant of what Jesus has established for us. But this was never, this priestly commandment was never meant for the entire community. Secondly, whenever we take rites and we ritualize them, they will never substitute for grace. Ritualized rites will never substitute for grace. And so many times people mistake a rite or a ceremony in the church. Baptism doesn't save you. 
The reason we don't baptize babies, we dedicate babies at Woodland, is because baptism is a decision that you make once you give your heart to Jesus Christ. And the fact that a baby has had water poured over their head doesn't mean their sins are forgiven. I don't want to get into bashing churches that do that. But I think what really should be communicated is that you're part of a covenant family. When we dedicated our children to the Lord, we were saying they were under the covenant of grace. They were in the covenant of our family. But as we taught to each of our children as they grew up, you have to make your own decision about whether to confess your sins and follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see, Jesus is teaching us here in this passage that true affection has to come from the heart. True affection is an inward attitude. If I show Becky outward affection, but inside I despise my wife, or inside I don't really care for my wife, my outward expressions will never give her what she's really wanting, and that's my heart. What the Jews were doing, <clears throat> what Jesus was saying these Jewish people were doing, and it's not just Jews, it's Christians today do the same thing. They obey the externals while breaking the Word of God in their hearts. They obey the externals while breaking the Word of God in their heart. And what you have is this conflicting view of sin and holiness. The right, somehow or another, was supposed to deal with the sin the Jewish people made the mistake of thinking. Holiness is a matter of the heart. And I'll tell you something, traditions are always easier to obey than the word of the Lord because we make traditions the way we want traditions to be. One of our favorite traditions had been a family tradition, and we said we would never have an artificial tree. I got so tired of going out in the snow after the kids got older when it was no more fun buying Christmas trees or walking through the forest and cutting a Christmas tree down and lugging that thing back. So I found a place where I could order Christmas trees online for a reasonable price. Maybe they were so reasonable that they went out of business, <laughs> but they would deliver it the day after Thanksgiving, which was our tradition when we put up our tree. So year before last, Becky said, do you really want to go out in the snow and get a tree this year? And because nobody was going with me. She said, I'm not going with you, but you know, if you want to go get it. And I said, I think it's time. This is a tradition that has seen its day. And our kids came home and they go, oh no, you have broken the family tradition. You know, but I'm telling you, it's so nice. We don't have to water it. We don't have to vacuum up around it. And it just went back in the back when it was all over with. But you could have thought we had sinned against God himself because we put up an artificial tree. The Bible says this in Isaiah 29 and verse 13. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship is nothing more than man-made rules learned by rote. That's the verse of Scripture Jesus quoted in Mark 7. Third, those who want to justify themselves by legalism will always modify it to rationalize their life or rationalize their decisions. And I have seen this time after time again where legalism has been used to justify racism. Legalism has been used to justify gossip. Legalism has been used to justify that we're better than these folks are. You won't believe this, but 20-something years ago when we first cast the vision for Woodland Church, and I'm looking around, and I don't see anybody that was here at that time except for, for Danny. At that time, there was a big conversation 
of whether or not men should wear coats and ties anymore. <laughs> and uh, that that was just the accepted way that we did church here. You wore a coat and a tie all the time. I wear a suit sometimes because I like to wear a suit. When I want to wear khakis, I wear khakis. When I want to wear jeans, I wear jeans. But it was a big controversy, and there were people that actually got angry about that. My wife, the first time she played the piano on the platform in a pair of slacks, one of the men in the church came up and says, you have broken tradition. And of course, he wasn't busting on her, but he was just saying, you've broken tradition. And some of the ladies standing around started clapping right then, you know, because it's easy for us to justify traditions and use them to isolate. You say, well, why did you ever even address that? Because we found out that people in our community felt like they had to dress up in order to come to church. And we wanted to say, however you come, you're welcome. Fortunately for some of those folks, we don't live in Southern California where I've been to church and people come in their bathing suits to church. That just doesn't happen in Michigan. So Mark chapter 7, and don't do that. Mark chapter 7 and verse 9. The people that do that usually shouldn't be seen in the bathing suit. Well, never mind. Mark 7 verse 9. You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. They modify their traditions. Let me give you some examples. I'm just quoting these to you tonight, okay? Looking in the mirror was forbidden on the Sabbath. How many of you look in the mirror before you're getting dressed on Sunday mornings? Sure. The rest of you are lying. You all look in the mirror, including your pastor. Looking in the mirror was forbidden on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out, and that would be working. Carrying a handkerchief if to, to was, was considered work, so you tied your handkerchief around your neck so that if you needed to blow your nose, you could remove it from your neck and blow your nose because that was considered to be work. Spitting was allowed on the Sabbath, but you couldn't cover it up with your foot because that would be cultivating the soil. And I could go on with these traditions that had come up that people were making. There was even one where the rabbis debated if a man's house caught on fire and he had a wooden leg could he take time to put his wooden leg on or get his wooden leg before he left the house on fire? This is what happens when we start trying to get legalistic. God's word is freeing. Can somebody say amen to that? And that's the reason, if you understand this, and now, and again, I don't want to sound like I am picking on anybody, but that was one of the great freeing things about the Protestant Reformation. One of the five solas was scripture, sola scriptura, Scripture alone, because the Roman Catholic Church had equated church tradition, what the popes had said, along with the Word of God. As a matter of fact, they went further to say that the church gave us the Word of God rather than God gave us the Word of God. The Bible is not the gift of the church to you and me. The Bible is the gift of God to the church. Can you say amen? And then we may have traditions but we want to be sure those traditions don't conflict the word of the Lord. Sunday school, I grew up in Sunday school, but when I took a class in college preparing for the ministry, do you know when Sunday school was first started, it was highly criticized, it was preached against in the church? Because Sunday school, the motivation behind Sunday school was to teach children, illiterate children, how to read, and preachers were thundering against teaching children how to read secular literature 
They were being taught to read the Bible so they could read, and so they thundered against it. Well, soon Sunday school became such an accepted way. Parents quit teaching their children. The Bible never gives to the church the spiritual formation of the children. The Bible gives to the mothers and fathers the spiritual formation of the children. We don't have your kids, if you're faithful to all the services, we don't have your kids but a couple hours a week. It's your responsibility as parents and grandparents to be teaching and praying with your children. The fact that we sing hymns. 400 years ago, there was a battle royale over singing hymns in church because up until that time, all of the songs were sang in Latin and they were from the book of Psalms in the Bible. Martin Luther shattered that with a mighty fortress is our God and I happen to be very thankful that he did, aren't you? So traditions change with time. When I was a teenager, anything... Contemporary, you may not even know this name. I know you will know it because you know all things about this. But how many of you know the name Larry Norman? Two people here know, look, three with me. No, Larry Norman. I was told that was sin because it was rock and roll and Jesus would never play rock and roll music. Well, today, all of the music that was popular is being sung, in, when I was a kid, is being sung in churches, and there's a lot more bass, and there's a lot more percussion, and there's a lot more guitars. What am I saying to you? I'm saying you have to be careful that you don't take your traditions, and we have to be careful that we don't judge other people by our traditions. We have to be careful. We want to be people of grace. Can you say Amen. And you know what? I think I'm going to stop right here because it's 7 o'clock and it will take me just as long to teach the second portion of this as it did the first portion. And I don't want to rush it at all. So let's have prayer and then we'll do our Q&A tonight, okay? Father, we love you so much and we thank you for the word of God once delivered to the saints. We thank you that it is without error. We thank you, Lord, that it is life-giving. And we thank you, Jesus, for giving us the ability to create good traditions for our families and for our communities. But help us never, Lord, to make traditions that conflict with or isolate other people from the life-giving word of Jesus Christ, I pray. In your name, amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks so much. God bless you. I appreciate you watching tonight.